Your son, he's gone. He was weak and foolish, like his father. So I destroyed him. I used to ask myself a lot of questions. Scott, you're at ex-con. How are you an Avenger? That doesn't make sense. But everywhere I go, people tell me the same thing. Thank you, Spider-Man. People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. Like a satellite for deep space, but Quana. Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm. Turn it off. Now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Weak and Foolish Movie Podcast. Today, in a heist as adventurous and risky as stealing something from a mighty conqueror in the quantum realm, I have commandeered the hosting gig from my fellow host. With me today is that ousted host. Mike Tang. Mike Kang Tang? I'm just kidding. (laughs) And I'm Joe Bang. Uh, In this podcast, we break down in detail the movies, TV shows, and sometimes other mediums um, that we we love and watch and maybe don't love in extreme detail. We're glad you could join us for this episode. Today, we are talking about the latest in the expansive Marvel Cinematic Universe franchise, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Here is a brief synopsis before we begin. Ant-Man and the Wasp find themselves exploring the quantum realm, interacting with strange new creatures and embarking on an adventure that pushes them beyond the limits of what they thought was possible. As usual, we will cover our impressions without spoilers first, and then we will dive in act by act into spoilers after. Uh, So let's begin. Mike, what did you think about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania? I think whenever we talk about Marvel movies at this point, it would be helpful to have a reference point since opinions about these movies are pretty varied. Sure. For me... Top tier Marvel is like Avengers Endgame, Infinity War, Spider-Man No Way Home, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Civil War, Black Panther, Thor Ragnarok. Those movies are some of what I consider the best that Marvel has done. So those are top tier Marvel movies. Bottom tier for me is Thor The Dark World, Eternals, Iron Man 2. (laughs) <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is not spectacular and it's not terrible. I wouldn't place it alongside any of the movies I just mentioned. I thought it was pretty standard, mid-tier Marvel. The story, the characters, the conflict, they're fine, right? But we, you know, it's nothing we haven't seen before and it's nothing extremely exciting. It's very different than the other Ant-Man movies, which... I felt, you know, we're pretty small scaled and self-contained. They're like small heist films, kind of goofy and funny and lighthearted, doesn't take themselves that seriously. This one has a much larger scope in how it explores the quantum realm and the worlds that exist within our own universe that we didn't know about before. If this movie had come out a few years ago during phase three, I don't know if I would feel as good about it. But mm-hmm. given how scattered and aimless Phase 4 has felt, this movie felt like actually a necessary course correction. Oh, interesting. You, you know, like we talk a lot about Phase 4 and 
I think the general sentiment amongst the fans is that it's kind of lost its way. Marvel has kind of lost its way. Is this phase four is missing the very thing that made the MCU so special, right? Interconnectivity. Phase four had seven movies, eight TV shows. Only three of those movies and two of the shows touched upon the multiverse. This is supposed to be the multiverse saga, but we barely had any content on the multiverse. You can say Spider-Man No Way Home was about the multiverse. I counted that as one of the three movies, but it really wasn't about the multiverse. You know, it really was about paying tribute to previous Spider-Man movies. Right. So, right. You know, aside from those, everything else was stand. They were standalone stories. It just kind of felt like DC, the DCEU, where they were just throwing characters on screen without building towards an overarching story. I mean, remember Eternals? Like spoilers for Eternals. But at the end of Eternals, there's a giant celestial sticking out <laughs> of the Earth. I mean, that's right. Yeah, and and none of the movies or shows acknowledge that. Like, are are they ever gonna? Talk about the fact that there's a, a freaking celestial sticking out of the planet. Maybe at some points they're going to kind of retcon it and bring it back in. Maybe that takes place later in the MCU timeline. I mean, we'll see, right? Yeah. Uh, the multiverse saga, you know, we're in its middle chapter. But I, I would say this Quantum Mania at least gives us what phase four did not. Mm. It. It has small minor connections to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but a larger connection to the Disney Plus show Loki. And that's largely due to the main focus of this story in this movie, which is Kang the Conqueror, who showed up at the end of Loki season one. Um, This movie has Ant-Man and Wasp in the title, but this really (laughs) is a vehicle for formally introducing Kang the Conqueror into the MCU. And what a ride it is for Jonathan Majors, who gives us a, a juicy performance. It seems like he's having a ton of fun, and he's really digging into this character. We saw a different version of him in Loki, and that was already like a really great performance. Kind of like a really weird, strange. He like he's been around for a while. He's almost like been alone and cooped up for a very long time. He's kind of got kind of cabin fever, so he acts and behaves a little strange. Uh, so I kind of like that. And a lot of the reviews have already highlighted Jonathan Majors in this role. And I'm mm. just, I'm going to have to agree with them. Like he's definitely the strongest aspect of this movie. And I really want to see where else they take this character. There's a lot that they do with him. And th- there's actually a lot of discussions to be had about, about Kang. So I, I would say overall, Quantumania, mid-tier Marvel movie. I think people could wait to go see it on Disney+. Plus. But, you know, uh, if you like Marvel, like I, I don't think you will be that disappointed if you go in with the right expectations. I would say seeing the critics just completely bashed on this movie, the Rotten Tomatoes score. I mean, I went with pretty low expectations and I was actually I, I enjoyed it. You know, I had fun mm-hmm. with it, you know, but it's not something that I'm going to think about for a long time. What did you think, Joe? Awesome. Before before we keep going, did you list off the three movies that touched on the multi or um, projects in this phase? Just for those catching up or keeping track at home, there was Spider Man, right? Right. This is a uh, there was Spider Man, No Way Home, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and <laughs> I, I think this this one, right? This one, yeah. 
and well, Loki. Let, 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 let me look it up. I, I didn't list out. I didn't list them out. So oh, maybe. okay. Or Loki. I while you're doing that, I can I can talk a little bit about what I'm thinking. Um, Marvel movies are what they are at this point. To me, uh, I I kind of have to parrot the common Twitter joke um, because it really felt like this to me. It feels like a shareholder fulfillment movie. Um, it, <laughs> it had some humor. It had some action. Uh, action actually that was sprinkled at the right moments to keep the audience somewhat interested. And for those in the audio, I'm extreme quotation marks here. Uh, and and it was to set up the next thing. Um, the dialogue I felt was quite wooden. Uh, you could probably chop shallots on it. Um, I feel like Marvel movies get <laughs> put through this gener genericized filter before they get spewed out into the world. Um, yeah, unless there's like a bit of a, it's, it's almost like they, they put like a, you know, like how you have a color, color timing on a movie. There's like a genericized filter that gets added onto a lot of these movies. And it's a shame uh, unless like an auteur is like making it like maybe Eternals. It's a, for all its problems, it's not a generic Marvel movie. Right. Um, or like Wakanda forever. It kind of was a real world breaking into the, uh, the fictional world kind of a project. Um, and also like Spider-Man No Way Home, it kind of was not generic um, per se. Um, but Ant-Man, I mean, Ant-Man is a franchise within this franchise that's always felt generic um, to me. And I just guess it continued that tradition. Um, that being said, I agree. I really enjoyed Jonathan Majors in this movie. We're probably going to talk a lot about him uh, as we go on. Um, but yeah, that's those are some of my thoughts. Did you have the uh, multiverse? Yeah, uh, so it, it really is just Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and then Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So those are the three movies. And then the TV shows that touched upon the multiverse, uh, Loki, like I mentioned before, and What If. What if? Oh, that's right. And, and what, what if, if? What if is its own thing that kind of exists, like yep. you know, far off? It's not yeah. really connected to anything. So, right. Yeah, I mean they're they're talking, they're labeling this a multiverse saga, but we don't have anything that's that it's building towards yet. Yeah, I think doesn't that's seem why like I it. Yeah, that's why I feel like Quantumania for me was a breath of fresh fresh air. I was like, okay, finally. They have a movie that is addressing and, and connecting to other things that we've seen so right. far. That's a good point. And and to to uh to break from tradition, their um their their end credit scenes before this film have not really tied into or has seemingly not tied into anything else beyond mostly. Yeah, and the end credit scenes have been really disappointing because they're introducing so many new characters but they're not following up with it in subsequent mm -hmm. movies, right? I mean, spoilers for Eternals and uh, Thor Love and Thunder, right? Eternals introduces Harry Styles as Thanos' brother. Um, I forgot how are you? I, I forgot the character's Eros. name. Right? Eros. Eros. Yeah. yeah, okay, that's what I was thinking. Eros, right? But we don't hear anything about that like ever since Eternals came out. Um, <laughs> and then... At the end of Thor: Love and Thunder, we see Hercules, the son of Zeus, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I think even that movie was kind of a lost opportunity. We mentioned this, I think, when we recorded the episode for Love and Thunder, That's but right. they had an opportunity to connect to Moon Knight. Moon Knight was about Egyptian gods. That's right. 
right? And there's nothing, um, there's, there's no nothing, connection. There's nothing there. They, they could have thrown something in there to at least bridge those stories, but yeah, there's nothing. So I, I, yeah. I they're just, they're, I mean, recently they've been, um, I think Kevin Feige and, and even Disney, right? They've come out and said that they're going to kind of scale back how many shows and movies they're putting out a year. Yeah. It's just been too much. It's oversaturated. This is, I think, the same problem that they had with Star Wars. When you release and oversaturate the marketplace with the same IP, even though there are different characters within the same universe, but it's still the same IP, right? It's Marvel IP or Star Wars IP. I think uh, the audience starts to feel the fatigue. Yeah. And yeah. quality control, man. The Marvel quality control has really declined Mm-hmm. I mean, when you have that many projects, I mean, Kevin Feige is the man, but it's hard to shepherd these projects when you have like 16 different things going on at the same time. Right. right. So I'm, I was actually quite relieved to hear that they are going to be scaling back, especially on the TV Disney Plus front. Yeah. They, they really yeah. need to do that. It was it was getting a little bit too out of hand. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you there. Um, that's kind of where we're headed with the MCU after this film. Um, but before we can even talk about where things are headed, we should go into spoilers, right? Let's do it. Let's dive into Let's this Let's go right in. Spoilers right now. No, no, you're still holding on. Let go. Okay, so let's go into the first act. Uh, I got this summary from sources on the internet, but also from watching it. <laughs> we see in the first act, at least there's an inciting incident or like a first scene where we see Janet Van Dyne, Hope Van Dyne, AKA the Wasp's mom trapped in the quantum realm and she encounters Kang. And then they cut to present day after that because we'll get back to that later. Um, Scott Lang summarizes how he's doing. He's a successful book author. He's living happily, but his daughter Cassie is a political activist and has, and he has to spring her out of jail because of, crimes that she committed. Um, but during a weird and awkward dinner, Scott argues with Cassie about her activism. Cassie accuses him of not caring anymore, being too content with where he's at now. Um, and then in for some reason, she then goes like, I'm going to show you a device I built <laughs> with, with my grandpa. And uh, so they show it. It's a quantum communicator device. Um, that is able to speak to the quantum realm and send signals. This naturally makes Janet panic and she turns it off, but um, the message is received and they all get pulled into the quantum realm. Um, All of them being Janet, uh, Hank, Scott, Hope, and Cassie. Um, And they are found by natives and they get separated. So, Let's talk about this first act. I liked how it opened. I liked mm-hmm. the fact that they started with Janet uh, Van Dyne stuck in the quantum realm. This connects to the previous movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Right. And I like how they kind of retconned this in this uh, encounter with Kang. And I like how she just refuses to talk about what she learned from uh, in, the quantum, in the quantum realm so that that part was cool i think i actually think the janet and kang stuff was the strongest part of this movie and it started off that way so that was cool and i think even establishing ant-man scott 
Lang as being very successful and kind of just really into his own success and not really feeling or not being really in tune with the needs of the people in the world, right? Um, I think they kind of hinted at things that were in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the fact that a lot of people have been displaced because of the snap or, or the blip, yeah. And so this conflict between his daughter and uh, and him and in terms of like the directions that they're going in, I thought that was a good setup for this relationship. I'm like, okay, so this is where their arc is going to be. AMS is going to learn to be compassionate again and mm-hmm. uh, not to be so full of his own success. But we don't see that. It, it isn't the, I don't think the movie actually returns to that arc. It just kind of gets lost in... In, in the whole multiverse stuff and Kang and I mean Kang essentially pushes everybody all the characters off the sidelines the movie actually is about him and so I was kind of disappointed in the fact that I thought that it was a compelling way in, back into Ant-Man's story like yeah. where we find him here and then also where he has this rift with his daughter I kind of wish we spent a little bit more time in act one but it just seemed like they wanted to just go into the quantum realm. And I was kind of surprised about how quickly they were, they were sucked in. I was like, oh, wow, you're not going to set more up. You're not going to kind of develop the conflict between uh, Scott and Cassie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that part is a little disappointing that they want to just chug along. Yeah, I feel that. It, it, feel, it felt like they kind of were in a hurry to kind of get to the point of the film, which is introducing Kang um introducing the quantum realm um and getting kind of like the actiony stuff going and that's a shame because i've i felt like there was a lot of interesting character development there like you said um i mean scott when he got snapped away i mean cassie was a little girl and when he came back she was grown up basically and um there's a lot there that you can mind. They they kind of hinted at it like, oh, you know, like she's not the little girl anymore. Uh, you know, like she's changed a lot. Um, I wish there was a little more development there. Um, a little more runtime devoted to that before we get going. Because then later on, as we kind of see their adventures unfolding, there isn't much of a rich like character to their relationship. You know, it's almost like once they're in trouble, they kind of make up and through conflict, they're like good again, as we see later on. But um, yeah, I, I agree. It kind of was in a hurry to just get everything out of the way. And and that is something I've just been feeling with Marvel lately is like, it's just in such a hurry to get going. Um, they almost feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've done character stuff in our history. You know, we've, we've established great characters in the past, but if you're going to move forward beyond Tony Stark, beyond, um, you know, beyond Steve Rogers and the original Avengers, um, you're going to have to spend some time to redevelop or further develop the characters that still are here, like like Scott Lang. And I don't know what it is. They've It's just been kind of hard to develop this character individually throughout the whole cinematic universe, which is a shame. Yeah, I think it's, it's crazy because... Like I think of a, about a movie like Captain America Civil War and it had a dozen characters in it. Yeah. It was a stuffed yeah. movie. But you can take and isolate each character in the movie and the, each character has its own like mini arc. 
Wanda, she's a she's a tertiary character in that movie, but she has an arc in that film. Hawkeye even, you know, comes out of retirement and, you know, Scarlet Witch. I mean, sorry, not Scarlet Witch. Um, Scarlet Johansson, <laughs> uh, Black, Black Widow, right? She uh, like yeah. every character has like its own their own arc. That movie introduced two brand new characters into the MCU in Black Panther and Spider-Man. Yeah. And it's it felt cohesive. It felt purposeful and it felt like it, like like everyone had their own time to shine in that movie yeah um yeah. And, and so they're capable they've done this many times it wasn't just civil war that was that good you know yeah uh, so i'm just mm-hmm. wondering like how in the world do you lose your touch like that like you had it you had the formula you had what it take what it took to kind of craft the story where it could just work like that Mm-hmm. so i don't yeah it's just it's so odd to find the mcu where it is and yeah you know, yeah yeah it is it is kind of like they've just decided they need to fulfill all the things shareholders or studio execs say they need to fulfill and it's like we don't need character we just need more a spectacle or whatever it might be but uh, let's move into the second act because this movie is in such a hurry. Let's rush to the second <laughs> act as well. Um, in the second act, we see Hope, Janet, and Hank meet with Lord Krylar. Um, Bill Murray shows up in this movie, a former ally of Janet's who reveals that things have changed and he's working for Kang now. By the way, until this point, everyone has started to like talk about Kang, but has been saying very obnoxiously, he is hunting. He will this, he will hurt you, he will find you, etc. And at some point, like it got irritating. That's my little thing while I read the synopsis. Yeah. Anyway, you know, I, I you yeah. know, I, I actually like that a lot because it kind of reminded okay. me of, of Daredevil when everyone kept mm. talking about the Kingpin, but they would never refer to him by name. Mm-hmm. And for like several episodes, you knew that there was this big bad guy, you know, uh, yeah. like at the top of the food chain. And so I like the fact that they were playing up Kang, especially because he's the big bad of sure. the multiverse saga of the of the next these three phases of the MCU. That's so right. I I, I kind of <laughs> liked it. I kind of liked it, and I thought it was making him seem like this larger than life character. Yeah, that is true, and I think I think it was effective at first until like the 80th time they said he is coming, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, true. After some yeah. point, you gotta you gotta bring him in. Yeah, yeah, right. Or like mention who he is. But uh, hey, that's okay. Let's keep going. Um, they they steal Bill Murray's ship, and um, uh, then we cut to the Langs, Scott and Cassie. Who, by the way, I forgot to mention they they got involved with a a, a rebel a rebellion basically. By the way, this was a really great Star Wars movie. Uh, they got involved with like a rebellion. <laughs> Um, in the quantum realm that was rebelling against Kang. Um, their leader, Gentora, um, knew about Janet's involvement with Kang and got mad that they were she was back. Um, and then they come under attack by Kang's forces, led by Modok, who is revealed to be Darren Cross from the previous movie. Um, he apparently survived, um, but he looks like Humpty Dumpty now, which is really interesting. And then... Um, the Langs are then taken to Kang. We we are introduced to Kang in this act, and he demands that Scott helps him um, get the power core back, or he'll kill Cassie. Um, what did we think of this this act overall? 
Um, you know, we also see here that um, towards the end of this act that Scott tries to, and he agrees basically, um, and very much is nearly successful. Well, actually he is successful, but anyway, let's, let's go, let's go into this. Yeah. This part of the movie was strange. I mean, we've seen the MCU <laughs> go to very weird places like in guardians of the galaxy. And so this, mm -hmm. I think it was very important that the characters themselves in the movie acknowledge the strangeness of the world and that mm. they comment on the fact that there are people living in the quantum realm. I thought this concept was strange. Like, uh, you know, when you think of quantum realm, you think of just matter, right? And subatomic, right. just like particular matter. Mm -hmm. But the fact that there's like cultures and ships and people, it almost looks like another planet. So I guess that concept is uh, strange. So I, I, I like the fact that, yeah, you know, when the group splits up, the, you know, each group acknowledges the fact that this is, this is kind of weird. Like, so, uh, that's just a little writing thing that I think was important to do. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad they, they did that. That's true. I like that a lot. I, I, I like the, um, that one alien or creature that was a blob. <laughs> that, oh, that right. Yeah. Really funny. <clears throat> and then that mind reading guy. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That was great. Yeah. I thought there were, so there were some great, there were some good comedy moments. I, I got to hand it to this film. There were some good, like comedic timing moments that really hit and, I, I did laugh out loud a few times. So to this film's credit, they did a pretty good job with that. Right. What did you think of um, Kang's appearance when he finally shows up? Yeah. So I thought he looked cool. Um, we get a flashback of what happened with Kang and Janet, right? We find right. out that, you know, Kang was stranded here. And then so Janet, they worked for ages trying to reconstruct his ship. They become friends. And then when the ship is assembled, uh, Janet gets a, basically a, a, like a vision of Kang's yeah. life and finds out that he's a conqueror. Uh, and he was actually banished here by his multiverse selves. Mm -hmm. And I thought that his power, the fact that he got his power from his ship and from his suit made him seem less menacing. Mm -hmm. Because Thanos himself was pretty dang strong right without yeah. the infinity stones he could i mean he could fight one-on-one -on -one with with uh the hulk you know right mm -hmm. but kang here i mean without his suit and his ship he's just a regular guy so i thought that was kind of surprising um i'm like this this guy is the big bad very uh, buff though to be fair he is buff. Yeah. He's very ripped. I mean, he's in Creed 3, so. Anyway. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> With a Killmonger. Yeah, right, right. Maybe that's a multiversal version of them, you know? Yeah. Anyway. I mean, there's more I want to say about Kang, but um, I thought I thought he looked cool. The performance is great. I just, mm -hmm. uh, I, I was kind of curious why he was sort of dependent on, like, a suit and a ship for his powers. Uh, like yeah. I thought he was going to be like some celestial being, but he, he apparently isn't. He's actually a human, and uh, we'll we'll learn more. Well, I'll talk more about him later. Yeah, I suppose it is kind of in the foundation of um, what was established at the end of Loki with uh, He Who Remains, another variant of Kang. I, I guess in a way they were they just ended up being very they being 
all the different versions of Kang uh, were all just really smart humans who eventually found a way to meet each other. Right. So perhaps, perhaps that's part of the foundation is like, he's just brilliant and was able to use his brains to put together all of this stuff. But yeah, like to be fair, it, it's like, oh, so he's basically nothing without his spaceship, you know? And yeah. that's kind of, yeah, that, that, it that does kind of like lessen the power of it, but maybe it lends some vulnerability to his character too, where it's like, he really is nothing, you know? So and, I actually have more to say on him, but okay. I guess I'm going to, I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it for when we talk about like, I guess the climax of the movie. Okay, great. Um, towards the end of this act, uh, Kang, so Scott and Hope together, um, after with the help of a sea of variants of Scotland or copies of him, I guess they're not really variants in this. They're just like realm. They're projections or something of like all the different choices that he would make. Right. 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 Oh yeah. All the different probabilities. It, I think it, they entered a sub atomic quantum probability realm or something. Anyway, I don't know if the science on this is like good or Anyway, oh sorry, hard Actually, enough to know. Can we backtrack a little bit? Yes. Okay. The you know the, like Kang, Kang and Scott make a deal, right? He's yes. like, I got your daughter. If you go down there and like shrink my my the, the I forgot the power source of his ship. I forgot what it was called. The power but, like 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 I'll give your daughter back, right? Right. And so Scott and put you back. Yeah. Yeah. Put you back in your timeline. Yeah. So why i don't understand why he still took cassie and basically pissed off scott and so scott is basically like i don't understand what his motive was with uh, mm. taking cassie sure. i'm like hey you got what you wanted just give her back it's not like ant-man it poses a threat to you he actually just wants to go home so you know you want him to do this heist he pulls it off just send him his way why 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 keep cassie i i did not understand why he did that and he kind of that led to you know scott and hank like storming his fortress and then completely like, that led to his defeat essentially his ultimate defeat mm -hmm. yeah yeah that the that that's true i didn't even think of that it, it does seem kind of like self-defeating but perhaps that's like the nature of this version or variant of Kang is that he's prone to hubris and something or other, you know, but like, we don't, just, that's not established. Yeah. It's not really I, established. I kind of wish there was more of a reason that's presented. Maybe there was something about Cassie that he needed. And so yeah. he couldn't give her up to Scott something, you know, you just need to, you need to put like one line in there to kind of explain yeah. why, why he had to keep Cassie, why he couldn't just return her to Scott. Or he needs Scott for to keep going. You know, maybe it's like, hey, you're you you seem really useful. Like, I'm gonna keep you around. You know, yeah, that, yeah, like that's that. so, yeah, something. But there was nothing there, and it just seemed very odd. Yeah, yeah. That's. I, that's I wonder if point. something got cut out of the movie, right? Like maybe Ooh, they had an true. entire scene, you know, that was edited out. It's entirely possible. You know, the shareholders are like ten extra minutes. No. <laughs> The share the shareholders to you are like oh they are coming for you they, they are they coming are, they are unloading their entire slate of movies <laughs> on us <laughs> oh dear uh, the shareholders the greatest villains of all right no I'm just kidding uh, sorry if you're a shareholder and you're listening um, 
great job. You're doing great. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, 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 we come to the end of that. He reneges on the deal, cap- captures Janet again um, and destroys her ship while Hank is on it. Um, mean all this time, Hank's just been like walking around in the background, like tapping an ear device or something looking really old and geriatric. Um, so that's kind of a bummer. He didn't have much to do until maybe the third act, um, which we see. Shall we go to the third act? Let's do it. Let's do it. So Hank, Hank Pym has this device communication device. It's, it looks like a hearing aid. Um, and I think it's played to look like he's kind of old and needs it. But what happened is he's actually communicating with his aunts that got pulled into the quantum realm as well. And supposedly through some weird advancement, the ants developed an entire society in the quantum realm on their own very conveniently and, and, and came to the full realization of their ant society just in time to, uh, to become hyper intelligent and help, um, Hank, Scott, and Hope defeat Kang and rescue. It's very, it's yeah, you know, like the timing was really, really coincidental. I don't know. It's interesting. Um, and then we see Cassie rescues the leader of the resistance. They start an uprising. Janet fixes the power core to find a way home. By the way, these ants somehow overpower Kang as well. They overrun him and carry him away seemingly to his death. But what we find out is that he did not die and was interrupted the return journey home. Mike, tell me about this third act. What did you think of Alien Ant Farm and and everything? Uh, yeah. So I was really surprised that the Ant-Man crew was able to take down Kang, the supposed big bad of the multiverse saga. And he was just taken out by characters who aren't really considered strong in the MCU. They're like probably mid-tier heroes. Yeah. Like he, they're not like Iron Man or they're not like Captain Marvel. You know, they yeah. aren't that strong. And so I, I was just wondering, like, that kind of makes Kang seem like kind of a weak villain. But then I started thinking that maybe they're showing Kang to not be an individual threat like Thanos right? Thanos himself, Mm. like I mentioned before, he was very powerful. He could put up a fight against multiple Marvel heroes. Uh, I think Kang instead is a far greater threat. And you kind of touched upon this, the fact that he could communicate with his multiverse selves. And they've been doing this for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but we have a post-credit scene that shows an entire arena full of Kangs from different universes yep and we've already actually seen him get killed in loki now we've seen him get killed in ant-man 3 uh, but there's countless other versions of him that are aware of what has happened and you know two of them have already been killed so it seems to me that now they're going to go after ant-man and the avengers yeah so i think that's that actually i kind of like that i kind of like the fact that kang is not the same kind of threat as Thanos. And this sure. is why it has to be a multiverse saga, mm-hmm. right? You kill one mm-hmm. one of them, there's a million of them that can come after you. 
I think that's pretty yeah. threatening. That's pretty cool. And that it's is... like it's almost like if you look at the Dark Knight trilogy, for example, right? The Joker was more of a psychological threat to Batman, testing him, pushing him, seeing how far he would go. Versus Bane and the Dark Knight Rises, who was a pure physical threat to Batman, right? He just completely physically outmatches him, beats him, beats him down, breaks his back. So I like how I'm starting to see maybe possibly this is the plan in this this uh, phase of the MCU where Thanos is is one kind of threat, collecting mm-hmm. these Infinity Stones and then wielding all this power, these galactic power. But Kang is a different kind of threat, right? You kill one, but he has access to his other versions in the multiverse. And this is very, very threatening to our heroes. So I like I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's a different spin, certainly on the big bad, quote unquote, of the next phase, is that maybe the threat isn't a single version, but a collective of them. Um, I'm and, not familiar and, with yeah, go sorry, ahead. Sorry, sorry. Uh, and there's there's no other character that, as far as we know so far in Marvel, who can do that, right? We know yeah. Doctor Strange casts a spell and access the multiverse, but he has not done anything to the extent that Kang is capable of doing, right? Loki yeah. needed the TVA, which Kang himself established, right? Loki needed the TVA to jump between multiverses. Yeah. Wanda Maximoff, she could only possess her multiverse self. She can't like group them all together in this way that Kang has. So I think that's why I, I, I can kind of see like, okay, this is uh Kang's the only one who can do that and who has right. done it so far. Right. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, I'm not familiar with the uh, comic book version of Kang, um, so I'm not sure if this is actually what's going to happen going forward, or if this Kang that guy kind of got pulled into the uh, core like a genie uh, is going to come back. It, I mean, they didn't show a body, right? Like he's probably going to find some way out, or. Maybe the, he'll get rescued by another variant or someone in the quantum realm might like let him out. Um, you, you don't think he's dead? I'm not sure. Like, you know how Marvel is with deaths. I, you, we, well, we need to be ready to. <laughs> for yeah. anything. Well, I think I think he could. I think he is dead and I think he should be dead because the post credit scene is like, oh, you kill you kill you killed only one of them. And mm-hmm. everyone else is like, okay, we gotta, we gotta do something about this. Uh, so I think it's okay that this version doesn't live, just like he who remains doesn't live. Are they talking about this king, or are they talking about he who remains as the one that was killed? I, I thought they were talking about this version, but hey, that's a really good point. Um, I don't know that that would be worth going back and checking out, looking into. Yeah, yeah. So. We don't know. I think it's it's left ambiguous on purpose. But I do feel like there is a bit of a threat coming. And I and and as we wrap up, Scott Lang kind of does one of his comedy style monologues again. It's like, hey, it's me again. You know, everything's okay, right? And then I love that there's a bit of like a wait, is he okay? Is everything okay? Like, did he actually die? And I think that whole thing was played really well. It was pretty com- comedic. Uh, it's like, oh, but it's okay. Like, I should be fine. Everything's always turns out okay. Um, I think that sows the seed of like, 
of one, it could be that other variants are coming, like like you said, Mike, or it could be that this one is not dead and we'll find some way. Because is Kang like the conqueror, you know, this conqueror version of him, is he the main Kang that is like the comic book villain or is Kang like a, a conglomerate of of different variants and that's the the big like threat is all of them i guess we'll find out maybe it's maybe it's both i don't know yeah i'm not i'm so i i admit i'm not that familiar with the comic book version of kang yeah i just know i only know like what what has been shown in the movies so yeah i interesting stuff yeah i don't know i i thought the way that the movie cut to credits was really strange oh (laughs) Like they bring bring out the cake and then it just cuts to directed by Peyton Reed. Oh my gosh, you're right. That was very strange. I was yeah. like, what? What? Like, I don't understand. Like, because he's it ends with him doubting like what they did. Like, did they actually yeah. win? Yeah, and I really like that. And I wish, I wish it the way there. the movie. Yeah, it, the, I wish the way that that movie ended had something to do with that, rather than some random gag that wasn't wasn't even funny. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it was strange, and I think they were trying to tie it back into his relationship with Cassie somehow, which again was just horribly underserved. Like I would have loved to have seen what they could do together. And um, this is a movie called Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah, the Wasp is like she's not in this movie. <laughs> she yeah. I in mean, any meaningful way, which is a yeah, shame. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I feel like Ant Man himself gets sidelined. Like the whole this whole podcast, we've been talking about Kang. That's <laughs> true, Jonathan Majors. Yeah. Uh, so this is a really strange movie, but you know, I, 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 in the end, I'm glad we got finally got something that is just acknowledging the bigger picture here. Yes. And, yeah. and you know what? Like. Back in the Infinity Saga, we never got a movie that was entirely dedicated to Thanos in this way. Like Thanos That's never true. got an introductory movie. I guess Infinity War was his introductory movie. He shows up in a post-credit scene at the end of Avengers 1. He has a brief, brief scene in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's right. Yep. And then we don't really see him again. I mean, he was in There's Avengers some Thor. He, I don't know, was he in Thor? I don't think so. I think there was a Thor where he's like, fine, I'll do it myself. Oh, that's the, at the end that? of uh, Age of Ultron, the post-credit Got scene. Got it. That's right. That's and it, right. again, that movie was a movie that had nothing to do with Thanos or the cosmos. So right. I think I think it's kind of cool that we got uh, like a like a movie where Kang is actually the villain. So that's true. That's so true. I, I, you know, we, we, we kept saying this movie is pretty mid-tier, but I think it's a very important, probably the, the most important mid-tier Marvel movie <laughs> because of because of you know uh its introduction, its true introduction right. to who Kang is. Yeah, what it's setting up for the future. Um we did talk about the mid-credit scenes, but I feel like we'd be remiss not to give a little section to it. Um we see in the first mid-credit scene um the various the various the various variants of Kang. Um, there's some fun ones in there. I, I I had a really great time seeing this and they meet to discuss Kang's death and then plan what's coming next um, with the multiverse and 
um, I guess they have some interest in the 616 universe, which is where Paul Rudd, uh, Paul Rudd, <laughs> Scott Lang and Ant-Man are from. Uh, I guess Paul Rudd maybe exists in this, in the Earth 616 as well, you know? Um, but yeah, like, besides what we've already said, what were your thoughts on that first mid credit scene? Yeah, I kind of referred to it earlier. I, I think it's uh, it just shows, like, this is the kind of threat Kang is. You kill one, yeah. there's a million other ones that are yeah. going to come after you. And according to Wikipedia here, we like you had asked earlier, are do you think that they're talking about the conquer King of Conqueror's death in this movie, or are they talking mm-hmm. about he who remains? According to Wikipedia, they're they're talking about King the Conqueror, the, okay. the one the version that we saw in this movie. Sure. Okay. Yeah. If that's the case, then yeah, this one's probably dead. But you know, there might be another variant that's very similar, almost like maybe the only variation is that he's missing a back tooth or something, you know, like, <laughs> and he might be exactly the same. We don't know. You know, that's kind of how it's been. Um, But yeah, I, I loved seeing all the different Jonathan majors in an arena. That was like hilarious and awesome. And I think that's just gonna, that's the one thing going forward. I'm excited to see is, well, there's a lot of things I'm excited to see. It's not the only thing, but it's one thing seeing like Jonathan Majors get to like just stretch his acting and try out all kinds of different versions of himself. That's going to be so much fun. And yeah, this um, is like a, it's almost yeah. like M. Night Shyamalan's split with James oh, McAvoy right? and he plays, yes. you know, all these different personalities. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. It's, it's fun yeah, for an actor. True. True. And, uh, He's he's a great actor, so looking forward to that. And then there's a one more post credit scene, and we see Loki in it with yes. Mobius. Um, and I think they found, and again, um, according to Wikipedia, they found another Kang variant named Victor Timely in the 1900s. Um, very excited to see that. Um, it it's teasing not a, a movie, I guess, but it's teasing. A, the next season of a Disney Plus show, yeah, um, uh, might be the first of, of Lo- its kind. Season two of Loki, right? Right. Yeah, I I think th- I feel like this scene is actually from Loki season two, and it's not like a an actual. Oh post. yeah, you know, kind of like at the end of Ant Man, you saw a clip, you saw Captain America, and Bucky and um and Falcon, right? Yep. And then they were like, oh, like Falcon says, like, oh, I know a guy. Right. Yeah. So and, and that scene was is directly from Civil War. That's right. That's right. So it's it's probable that we got a scene from Loki season two, which is already pretty much near completion. So that's exciting too. They probably went to like the first uh Kang variant um and tried to find out what's going on. So that's gonna be exciting to see going forward. So Anything else on the future of the MCU, this movie? Yeah, I'm hoping in phase four, things will connect more. That's all I'm hoping for. That was the main selling point of the MCU. And they kind of lost it in phase four. I'm glad that they are scaling back. They're not going to be releasing as many movies and shows. Yeah, That's the way it should be. But if you do, if you do release shows, at least make them connect the dots like yeah 
Yeah. Don't just throw out. Just, it's just too much. Yes, that is true. Um, okay. One one thing I feel like I had a strong theory on and was totally wrong about was I thought the the rings uh, in Kang's city that were floating oh, they looked yeah. a lot like the ten rings. Yeah, they yeah. had the same like lighting and similar. I I didn't watch Miss Marvel. I know, I know, I didn't watch it. But I, I heard that like her bangles or something looked a lot like that too, or had the same visual language. And so I thought for sure there'd be some tie in there, but there was nothing. I'm disappointed. That was my pet theory that I need to let go of, sadly. Rest in peace, Ten Rings theory. Well, you never know, right? Eventually, True. hey, what if, what if they, it seems like it was an aimless, directionless phase but they actually just planted all these seeds and they're just going to have one movie that connects everything together possible perhaps or we could only hope or it won't (laughs) yeah or we're just giving them too much credit that's entirely possible and it's the same like easy to animate like floating rings you know kind of a deal so it's the it's it's all depends on the shareholders right Right, right. So, well, this has been the latest episode of the Week in Foolish Movie podcast where we talk about shareholder, I mean, Ant-Man and the Wasp, <laughs> Mania. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this, this was a fun one. Join with us next time on the next episode. Thank you so much. We're not done yet. No. The Supreme Leader is wise. I'm sure you are. Blow that piece of junk out of the sky!